An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 374, Submission number 1571, Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon was a pilot commissioned for Fox in 1994. keeping track at home that open was literally about 20 percent of the pilot not even joking all right boys in the early to mid 1990s anime was enjoying a renaissance the likes of which hasn't been seen since the halcyon days of battle of the planets and voltron and robotech and star blazers the two big favorites of millennials growing up in this age were Dragon Ball Z, and Sailor Moon. Both of them had their bumps in the road, becoming favorites worldwide, but today we're going to talk about a massive pothole in the form of a pilot commissioned by one of the makers of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And it begins in Japan with a budding chemist and artist named Naoko Takeuchi and a story of a magical girl a soldier of love and justice 
who fights in a sailor suit and uses her powers in defense of the galaxy. I am talking about... Codename Sailor V. Yes, Codename Sailor V was actually the precursor to Sailor Moon, the prototype, the pilot of Sailor Moon, as it were. I had no idea that there was like a previous version of Sailor Moon before now. Yep. It was published as a one-off in 1991 for a Japanese comics magazine published by Kozansha called Run Run. It was really popular and got so much buzz that they expanded it into a serial that lasted from 1991 until 1997. Now, Kodansha loved the buzz that the storytelling and all of the art and all of the uh, mysticism was getting from Codename Sailor V. So, they decided to order a spin-off strip which would expand upon the story of Sailor V. Because Sailor V's main goal is to search for the Moon Princess. So what happens when they find the Moon Princess? That is explored in another publication with another Naoko Takeuchi comic called Bishoujo Senshi Sailor Moon, or Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. It was popular, and Toei Animation picked it up for an anime series that lasted five seasons and garnered worldwide acclaim. Now, interestingly enough, Naoko Takeuchi wanted to end both the TV series and the comic after one story arc. But Toei kept going back to the well, ordering another story arc, and another story arc, and another story arc. Ultimately, we had five solid story arcs. First one, of course, being the Negaverse. The second one being the Alien story. The third one being the Shadow story. The fourth one being the Eternal story, and the fifth one being Sailor Stars. Which, for reasons that are patently obvious to anybody who has seen the Sailor Stars season, we're not going to talk about. But yeah, the five seasons together in the comic book garnered worldwide acclaim, but it wasn't until about 1995 when the show was brought to America. And of course, if you remember that far back, you know Deke was the one who handled it. It was produced alongside Toei Animation. They dubbed it in Canada. It was awesome. And then a couple years ago, they redubbed it in Los Angeles and released that fifth season that we're not going to talk about. Okay. But... Before all of that happened, we almost got a different version of Sailor Moon. What? And it all starts with 
a man named Frank Ward, who headed up Renaissance Atlantic Films, who, of course, produced Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with Saban. He teamed up with Toei Animation, toy company Bondi, and a new animation studio to create this. It was a live-action-slash-animation pilot, and it's 12 minutes long. They wanted to do a whole half hour, but it was an incredible story, and has to do with earthquakes and production delays, and they ended up doing a pitch film that lasted for 10 solid minutes. Now, you said this was 1994, right? Yes. Wouldn't there have been, like, the 1994 earthquake around this time in California? Yes. So that's the reason why it probably was that short. Yeah. In fact, according to sailormoon.fandom.com, tune makers were given really bad outlines and resources. They were given unreasonable deadlines to meet. They wanted to design each Guardian one way, but had to work within the confines of the live action. Of course, this being... America in the 90s, it had to have a diverse cast. And like you said, the North Ridge earthquake, that just put production so far behind that ultimately all Toon Makers and Renaissance Atlantic wanted to do was finish the damn thing. So they tried their best and ended up with 10 solid minutes of something. That was for the cartoon. When Chico said 10 solid minutes of something, that's really what it is. I saw this, and well, first off, anime interests me absolutely zero. I have no interest in anime. And I watched it for like six minutes. I got about halfway through. And it's like a combination of animation and real life action. And I don't know what they're trying to do here, but I'm sure Chico will get into that, but yeah, it's 10 minutes of something or 12 minutes of something. Just don't know what that something is. Yeah, well, that was for the cartoon. For the live action part, reportedly thousands of girls auditioned in a rented apartment complex in Los Angeles with two makers producers. Wait, what? That's not sketch at all. What? Can't do that nowadays. Oh, no, 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 no. See, Chuck hey, agrees. Hey, Chuck Testa, can you audition girls in an apartment in Los Angeles in 2023? Nope. So the producers, Raymond Yakabachi, Rocky Sotoloff, and Steven Wilsbach, chose the five actresses who would be our Sailor Guardians. To save time and costs, they use existing sets for shows that were taped at Sunset Gower, which is where Saved by the Bell tapes. And all I could say is, there really wasn't much to go on. I mean, we watched this. There was a hallway scene, a dormitory scene, and a school scene. 
You want to save money? You saved some money. Because obviously you didn't spend a lot of it on the writing. So, who did they get to play the Sailor Guardians? Well, in this version, Sailor Moon is named Victoria. And she was played by a young actress named Stephanie Dicker. Who wasn't in much... You know what? I'm just going to say it. The five actresses they chose to be the Sailors weren't in much of anything. So they have something in common with the cast of New Monkeys. Yeah. Never thought we'd have another reference to New Monkeys on this podcast. However, I will say the lead is perhaps the only one who had a career after this show. Victoria, who is Sailor Moon, is played by an actress named Stephanie Dicker. She was on episodes of My So-Called Life, Weird Science, Married with Children, Life Goes On, General Hospital, Undressed, Poltergeist, The Legacy, Beverly Hills 90210, Friends. She was on the entire run of Fame LA, which, by the way, yes, is a future entry. But she was also in episodes of two podcast favorites, Blossom. Whoa, whoa. And Boy Meets World. She was not in that episode, Greg. Oh, that's a shame. I figure you do a good takeout business. Good takeout business. Yeah, we do a good takeout business. Takeout business. (laughs) Both of those episodes, by the way, are season one episodes. Oh, so that's the season with Minkus. Yes, that is the season with Minkus. Oh, I loved Minkus. Everybody loves Minkus. But you know how much I don't love Minkus for then? Tony Shalhoub on wings. Because as you all know, guys, I love wings. Yeah, we know you declared your love of wings 74 episodes for the first time. Mike, can you believe that it was only 74 episodes ago? It was like, what, nine months ago, eight months ago? It seems like it was like yesterday. Oh, historians across the world will document the first time Greg Diener ever loved Wings was episode 300 of this podcast. Next, we have Blue, a.k.a. Sailor Mercury, who is a paraplegic and played by Melinda Cowan. Dana, a fiery Asian lady, is played by Danny DeLacy. The African-American sailor Jupiter, named Sarah, is played by Tammy Adrian George, who was actually in an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Keisha. It's only a paper moon. Ironically enough, that's the name of the episode. She's actually still active to this day, although... Her last known credit was a 2011 episode of Big Time Rush, but she has been in episodes of Desperate Housewives, Heroes, I'm With Her, One on One, The Jamie Foxx Show, The Bold and the Beautiful, and Boy Meets World. Not that episode. Can you believe it, guys? 
two Boy Meets World references in this episode for the price of one. But here's the thing. I bet you we're never going to get another Sega CD reference. She was in the video game Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch Make My Video. Oh my god! This is the first time ever! No, 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 it's not the first time. This is the second time we've talked about this. Oh, that's right, because Seth Green was in Make My Video Marky Mark game. Wait, yes. when was this? I don't remember this. When was this? I think I did mention in one episode, because when we talked about the Sega CD, I mentioned Seth Green was in the Make My Video Marky Mark game. But, oh, I played it on an emulator like a couple of years ago, the Marky Mark Make My Video game. It's terrible. Yikes. <laughs> There's like a great playthrough if I can find it, and I'll post it on the socials of Jeff Gerstman doing like a stream on Giant Bomb playing through the Make My Video Marky Mark game on Sega CD, and it is so bad. Rounding out the Sailor crew is Sailor Venus, named Carrie. Oh, Mom and Dad. Here, Probably have... Mom and Dad. No more fighting. I've had enough of this. But Dad, he's such a little jerk. Oh, it's her. The radio Jim Broadbent? <laughs> What's it about this time? She wants to he make the new Marky Mark, Mark video more be more boring. Wait a minute. Your mother and I watch a lot of VH1. <laughs> VH1, who would watch that? Oh god, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, the future! The future they could not have envisioned! However, neither she nor the actor who played Prince Darian of Earth, aka Tuxedo Mask, have ever been identified, and as of this recording, their identities remain a mystery. Hmm... And then we have the people who are just exclusive to the animation. And we have two veritable legends. I'm going to start with the amuse-bouche here, and that is Patricia Alice Albrecht, who sadly no longer with us. She died in 2019, but she was the voice of Pizzazz on Gem and the Holograms. Nothing? No, I did it a couple weeks ago. Okay. Gotta be in moderation with how outrageous it is. It's truly, 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 truly outrageous. Truly. Truly, truly outrageous. Truly outrageous. How many times do we say truly in this little segment? I'm not falling in that trap here. I'm not falling. Truly, you're right. So, Patricia Alice Albrecht. Legendary. Another legendary name? Melanie Britt, who played Luna, the talking cat. Now, if you remember in Sailor Moon, there were two cats. They pretty much jerry-rigged the two cats into one single cat. And they got the voice of She-Ra to play the voice of Luna. You know what that means, Greg? What does that mean? Luna has played... By the voice of the protagonist in He-Man and She-Ra, a Christmas special. Oh, that's great. So not only do we get two Boy Meets World references, we now got a reference to the dildo copter also in this episode. Who would have thought we wouldn't get so much material from a 12-minute pilot? Oh, I've saved the best for last, my friends. Because we have 
opposing forces in Queen Beryl of the Negaverse and Queen Serenity of the Moon Kingdom. But they are both played by the same actress because Frank Ward called in a favor. They are both played by Adrian Barbo. Wow. Now we know who. Let's talk about what. Because this is basically the entire of the first story arc in 10 minutes. A long time ago, in a galaxy that is this one, Queen Beryl has taken over the outer solar system, taking their cosmic jewels of power. Only the moon, Earth, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and Mercury still hold their jewels of power, infuriating Queen Beryl. The royal families of the princess warriors of the remaining planets have come together in a federation led by Queen Serenity of the Moon in hopes of becoming strong enough to put an end to Queen Beryl's evil. Meanwhile, Sailor Moon has fallen in love with the Prince of the Earth, a gentleman by the name of Darien. To cement their confederation, they are betrothed to wed. Their ceremony, however, is interrupted by an onslaught from Queen Beryl and her evil minions. Sensing that the Moon Kingdom is not long for this universe, Queen Serenity sends Sailor Moon, her white cat Luna, and her friends on their Skyflyers, which are flying sailboards, with their respective planet's jewels of power. Meanwhile, Darien is taking whatever survivors he can come up with on a flying galleon called the Galleon, with plans to meet the sailors wherever they may go. Here's a hint. They're on their way here. So plans to meet up with Darien are shattered when the Galleon is destroyed in the fight with Queen Beryl, with the members of the royal families on board. Uh-oh. 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 With few other options available to them, and now distraught upon Prince Darien's apparent death in the midst of space, the girls use a black hole to travel to Earth in another dimension. Which kind of looks like this dimension in this time, in this galaxy. And that's where we find Victoria, a 16-year-old at a girls' academy, looking up at the night sky and thinking, home is a long way away. Now, lest you think that she is the studious moon princess that she was in another time, in another place, there's a dance at this girl's academy, and Victoria is getting way too excited about getting ready for the dance, to the point where she drops Luna. And Luna delivers... Oh, who wrote this line? Whoops! There goes one of my nine lives! Ha 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 ha! Because Luna's a cat! Ha ha! 
Because Loon is a cat, yeah. So, Victoria is getting ready with her friends, Blue, Dana, Sarah, and Carrie. And unlike her previous life as the Moon Princess, Victoria is a bit of a space case. So one night, they're prepping for the dance. Luna, because she is a cat with the mind of somebody who is more intelligent than a cat, shuts off her stereo, which is playing the theme music that we actually played at the top of this thing, to inform the girls that Queen Beryl is back and attacking planet Jupiter. Oh, no. So Victoria puts her jewel of power, which I guess she was wearing on her hand because I don't remember seeing it, in her medal, which looks an awful lot like the toy medal that Bondi created when Sailor Moon first came out in Japan. That right down to the uh, speaker holes because it makes noises. And she uses the jewel of power in her medal to transform into Sailor Moon. And the rest of the warriors use their jewels, although you don't see them take out their jewels, nor do you really see them get called in to transform. So they're pretty much transforming out of sight. We're left to surmise that somehow they got Victoria's message. It's 1993. How do you send a message? So they transform and the battle is on. They're magically whisked away to another animated segment where they manage to overcome all of the enemies on Jupiter except for one gigantic mud monster using their elemental powers and their fighting skills. Sailor Moon is the only one able to defeat the monster, and only because of an appearance of a white rose. The same white rose she was given by Prince Darien as a token of their love. But in the distance, it's not Prince Darien. It's a mysterious man in a tuxedo who is wearing a white mask. He is known only as Tuxedo Mask. What? That is the most unimaginative name I can think of. Tuxedo Mask. You know what? It works better in context, but we only have ten minutes. So, with the power of the rose given to her, she creates a tiara disc out of the tiara on her head, Curls it at the mud monster, and mud monster is destroyed. Meanwhile, the rest of the princess warriors are wondering who the man in the tuxedo and the mask was. And all Victoria can say is, I don't know. I just don't know. Christine. <laughs> What is the big holiday in April that we celebrate what used to be the Roman New Year? I don't... Ah, uh, you almost caught me. Forget it, Ross. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Seeing as the show is about holidays, you get a holiday from being slimed. No slime? No slime. <laughs> okay, Ross, what was that question again? 
What is the big holiday in April that we celebrate what used to be the Roman New Year? I don't know. Cue back to the classroom. Victoria is sitting at her desk, staring out into space, just saying, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know! And the teacher catches her and asks her, Hey, are you staring out into space again? And Victoria, just slyly looking at her friends, says, No, I'm here on Earth. And that's the pilot. All ten minutes of it. It is on YouTube if you want to take a look at it. But I'll tell you right now, it's pretty hinky. So, Tune Makers and Renaissance Atlantic, they were able to cobble together this pilot film, pitch it to Fox, and they uh, shut it down. They were basically like, how much did it cost you to make this? And at this time, they already have Power Rangers, so it's like, we don't need this. They really don't. And they were going into Power Rangers Season 2, and that was basically upping the ante from Power Rangers Season 1. I remember Power Rangers Season 2 was such a big event, Fox actually put it in prime time. They put the season premiere of Power Rangers Season 2 in prime time. Three consecutive weeks on a Friday night. So Fox decided in the fall of 1994, pass. But Bandai still wanted to bring Sailor Moon to the U.S. And Toei still wanted to bring Sailor Moon to the U.S. So they teamed up with Deke. And the rest is animation history including a couple of cancellations, ultimately finding their audience on Cartoon Network. The pilot itself was pretty much relegated to the annals of time and space. Until 1995, nobody even knew it existed until a music video cobbling scenes from that pilot was aired as a part of Anime Expo in Los Angeles. And we only know this because somebody recorded it on their phone or a portable video uh, on a portable video or something. Yeah, a video camera, because obviously nobody had a video camera in 1995. Unless you were that alleged time traveler at the Mike Tyson-Peter McNeely fight who held what looked to be an old 2010 cell phone or smartphone or whatever. Yeah, have you heard that story? No, I haven't, but I bet you're going to tell me. Supposedly, there's a guy at the Mike Tyson-Peter McNeely fight in 1995 holding what looks to be a modern cell phone. In the late 90s, it gets circulated in the bootleg trades, and ultimately it's uploaded to the internet where people were watching it and calling it Saban Moon because, come on, it looks like something that Haim Saban would have come up with. Never mind the fact that Time Saban, or anybody from Saban at that moment, had absolutely nothing to do with this pilot. 
So for the last 20 or so years, all we knew about this pilot was those two minutes of bootleg video. Until last year, when a YouTuber named Raven Ramona Simone was creating a two-part documentary on her series, Tales of the Lost, where she was going to take a deep dive into what happened to this pilot. She interviewed people from Toon Makers. She interviewed people from Renaissance Alliance. She interviewed people from the Library of Congress. She interviewed members of the cast. And she, in her interviews, found out that a copy of the pilot did, in fact, exist. And not only did it exist, it is at the Library of Congress. It was there because Rich Johnson was one of the producers of the project. He said that the move was made due to the expense of creating the live-action and animated portions, which would require the use of union workers. By the way, we are very much pro-union on this podcast. They reached out to the Library of Congress for a copy of the Sailor Moon pilot. Although Sotoloff remarked that the copyright would pose a potential barrier if the pilot were to be discovered because the holders would need to grant their permission for the pilot to be shared and the copyright owner at the time was believed to be Toei. Assisted in her search by somebody at Kotaku, a lady by the name of Cecilia Denastasio, who wrote an article about researching and finding scripts and cells from this pilot on eBay in 2012, Raymona was able to locate a copy of this pilot. And in the second part of her video on the Western world of Sailor Moon, thanks to petitioning for access and ultimately being granted access to the copyright, Frank Ward, who actually did own the copyright to that film, granted Ramona access to the pilot and permission to release it on YouTube, where it remains to this day. Any thoughts before I get into sort of the uh, pre-epilogue here? No. You guys have seen the pilot. Well, Mike has. I did. Bits and pieces, yeah. I honestly want to know what your thoughts were uh, going into and watching this pilot. Because I know, Mike, you said yourself, you're not a big fan of anime. And you wouldn't know a Sailor Moon from a Naruto or a Boruto or a Yu-Gi-Oh! But I want to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I'm not even anywhere near a fan of anime. I don't understand it. I try a little bit to understand it just to be relatable with my students because anime is really huge nowadays. I just didn't get it. Plus also the mix of live action and animation 
I think I needed to have a little bit of like the backstory. You know, I know Sailor Moon has been around since I think the late 70s, early 80s, and people who like anime truly understand that. Us, for lack of a better word, normies, I think we're sort of lost. Just my opinion. Yeah, I think it's the same for me, too. I'm not really a big anime. I mean, I like animation. It's just, I don't know. I can never get into anime. Well, the idea to turn Sailor Moon into a live-action series never really died down. And in the early to mid-2000s, it actually bore fruit because Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, a 2003 series, lasted for 50 episodes in Japan. And it was a live-action series with obvious liberties taken for obvious reasons. I mean, you have to turn cell-shaded comic book characters into flesh and blood. And I don't know if you've ever seen the comic books, but they don't look anything like regular people. Not only did they make a TV series work in Japan, they also put on a stage show, which featured music from the series, plots from the series, and it was absolutely fantastic. People loved it on both sides of the Pacific. But perhaps the biggest sort of epilogue on this story is the Library of Congress actually highlighting that discovery on their blog. Eric Graff, the individual who actually fulfilled Mona's order, revealed himself to be an avid anime fan and recalled being jaw-blored, according to the Library of Congress, upon seeing the request and that it's been even bigger than I expected. The Library of Congress wrote that the series' newfound reception, as we record this, we are past the 30th anniversary of the franchise. 30 years. You don't do something wrong and not last for 30 years. But it says something quite positive about the cult of fandom, as well as the value in collecting and then enabling to endure even the most minor and fleeting efforts of creative endeavor. As for Renaissance Atlantic Entertainment and Frank Ward, well, they would continue producing Power Rangers until Hasbro decided to stick its wicket to the fire and take the franchise full bear. But, in between seasons, he went with Danny Dave in his company and created something that was similar to, but legally distinct from Sailor Moon, involving a team of angels going down to Earth in order to fight crime. What the hell? But that is another thing on TV for another time. Now I'm intrigued by this. Hey, we found the Sailor Moon pilot. We can find this. Oh, this is another pilot? This is another pilot.
Well, stay tuned for Pilot Love 2037 when we cover this. We're going to cover it the year that Franklin Sherman did his dance as Baby 37? You know that when it's 2037, you know people are going to post memes of Franklin Sherman as Baby 37. You know that's going to happen in another 14 years. Hey, just stick around. Once we get to episode 1900, we may find it. Maybe. Wait, hold on a second. Stick around is for another week, buddy. Yeah. I'm just questioning the whole 1900 part. I don't know if we can make it 1900 episodes. Hey, we've oh. almost made it to 400. I'm talking more longevity than quantity. I don't know if we can make it necessarily 15 more years. Well, you can visit It Was a Thing on TV.com in this dimension, in this galaxy, to uh, check up on all of our previous entries, including the kickoff of Pilot Month last week, which was pointless. Utterly, it was utterly pointless. It was literally pointless. And that is available on it was a thing on TV.com. Also available wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. Remember, like and subscribe, rate and review. Five stars only because positive vibes only. Fight for love, fight for justice. And also, we are available on all social media. And if you are on the YouTube, do not forget to ring our notification bell so you can stay up to date on all the pilots that we are covering. Usually we say, everything on TV has a story. This May, every pilot has a story. And our next story is actually one that illustrates what happens when you take a pretty good idea from Britain, bring over the guys to do it from Britain, and then tell them to go smeg off. But hey, it finally gives us a chance to talk about Daphne from Frasier. You're gonna laugh. And that's coming up next time right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you so much for listening. And because we are recording this the day after Jerry Springer died. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. Roar me out, Greg. Wow! Hey, Jerry, we came here by ourselves, and now we're leaving with her. Woo! Thanks. Thanks, man. Jerry. I'm David, and this is Carlos. And yeah, we're we here come today. all the way from Homo Park to say, you know what I'm saying, Jerry? We love, we you, love Jerry. you, Jerry. Homo. Hi, Jerry. We came from Port Indiana just to tell you we love you, Jerry. We hey, came Jerry. We came all the way from the west side of Chicago. We love you, Jerry. Hi, Jerry. All the way from the south side of Chicago. Me and my brother. We love you. Bye. Hi, Jerry. We love you. What's up, everyone? Kel City. Bye. Hi, my name is Viviana. I would like to thank my friends, Terrence and, and Chris, for bringing me on the Jerry Springer show. Thank you.